I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. What is going on, everybody? Happy Friday. Playoffs start soon, like real soon. By the time you're listening to this, it's either going to be tomorrow, or if you're listening to it on Saturday, it's going to be today. So... We're going to get into a lot of playoff talk, evidently. Obviously, it's unavoidable at this point. It didn't seem like it would be unavoidable at the beginning of like a Monday, Tuesday, beginning of the week. We didn't know where we'd be. So we've got to be grateful that we're even talking playoff basketball. As usual, on a Friday episode, I'm joined by my homie, Mr. Will Weir. How you doing, Will? What up, Adam? Playoffs are indeed here. The real playoffs. No more yeah, the of real. this. The real ones, the real deal Holyfield is here, man. Uh, I'm excited for it, man. I'm, I'm very excited for this weekend. Lots of basketball and specifically Celtic basketball coming up. Let's go. Uh, do you know what, though? I'm super excited, but I'm also like kind of nervous. Like, um, I'm completely fine with uh, if Boston lose to Brooklyn in the overall series. Uh, mm-hmm. But I'm so nervous about the manner of which they lose. You know, <laughs> like, there's a world where they can win. I, I completely envision there's a chance that the Celtics could end up just shocking the world and showing Brooklyn's defensive frailties were, you know, bigger than what people expected them to be. So I'm not saying that Boston have no chance, but they, it's going to need to be damn near perfect every single game. Yeah. Yeah. And. They definitely, there's a chance. You're right. We went over that, I think, a week ago. There's that Doctor Strange world in which, you know, in which there's that one in 14 million. This could be the one. We don't know, folks. Could be. But you're, I think it's funny that, like, your biggest worry is the manner in which losses may happen. And that's mostly because, you know, the Brooklyn Nets are the biggest wild card in the entire NBA playoffs. Their main three superstar players have played eight games together. I've tried looking into stats to come ready for this podcast. I don't know what any of it means. They've played eight games, seven of which were several months ago. They've played one game in the last couple of months together. And I don't think you can draw any definitive conclusions from that. So what we know from their little bit of time on the court together, the offense, really, 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 really good. Their defense, as you mentioned, not so great, but... I don't know how much we can draw from that. So I honestly don't know what to expect. So I get your trepidation when it comes to if that offense hits right. And even if the Celtics play their best basketball, the biggest concern for me without Jalen Brown in the series, aside from the obvious defensive concerns, is I don't know if we have enough scoring to try and keep up with something like that. Because that's, it, I mean, they were putting up 135 to 150 in regulation with those three at one point. So it's it's going to be a fascinating watch. I mean, my biggest takeaway here is when looking at the little amount of time they've got together, the small sample size, is Boston fans are in a position where we know what that can do to you and what that can mean when when your back's put against the wall. That lack of rhythm, the lack of continuity of knowing where each guy's going to be, what spots on the floor they want to occupy, making sure that two guys aren't trying to occupy that same space. That's something Celtics fans have watched Boston struggle with all year. And Brooklyn needed to go through those teething issues. And if we're saying that, hey, Boston hasn't been healthy, their star players have only played X amount of games together all year. And then we, but then we say the same about Brooklyn and give them a pass when their players are 
far more ball dominant than what the Celtics players are. You know, we're saying Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum haven't played enough together. Marcus Smart hasn't played enough, you know. But then we're like, oh, yeah, most of these guys can operate off ball some. Not much, but some, mm-hmm. you know. And then we're saying, right, Kyrie, KD and Harden haven't played them much together. Well, what happens if Boston come out and punched him in the mouth early? And each one of these guys feel like they deserve the ball in their hands. That's where I think Boston's biggest advantage is going to be. The fact that Brooklyn may have this otherworldly, alien-esque offense, but we don't know how they're going to react when the game gets put on them. When somebody comes out and just gives them that quick jab before having a word to say, just like, bang, now we're going to attack you. It's all about how Brooklyn can kind of withstand those barrages and then respond. It's completely different to doing it in the regular season. And uh, I'm really curious about that because of the lack of continuity between those three. Yeah, it's it's somewhat ironic, right? The The best chance the Celtics have in this series is based on the fact that the Brooklyn Nets' biggest concerns are their continuity and their health, which have been two large parts that have been looming over this entire Celtics season are just those two aspects. And now we're going into that as that's our best avenue to success is that for whatever reason, those eight games weren't enough. And now that you get into this different world of the playoffs and these three guys who, you know, who I think they get a pass just because of their level of talent is so it's, you know, it's kind of almost like in an Olympic style, you're like, well, you put this much talent together, they're going to figure it out because the three of them can do so much and they can cover up in other areas where they where they might be lacking. So I think that's where the pass comes from. But that's going to be the Celtics' opportunity is that for some reason, you know, Kyrie turns into, no, this is my time to give, give me the ball at the end of the shot clock. Kevin Durant, sick of being the guy that's setting the screens while Harden and Irving are the ones with the balls in their hands making all the decisions. You know, having some type of friction amongst the three of them and figuring out where they're supposed to be. Because as you said, theoretically, both Harden, Irving, and Durant can all go off ball. They can all be with the ball in their hands. Durant's really the only one out of the three that's really going to be the one setting screens. But they all have a lot of like interchangeability with what they theoretically do. But they're all also alphas that are in the same spot. So, you know, that not being on the same page is one avenue. And then the health history where Harden's only been back for, I think, one game, maybe two games before the end of the regular season. So his hamstring's still a question. Durant came back and then went back out and then came back and went back out. Kyrie's just taken a couple, you know, sabbaticals throughout the season. So whether or not the availability of those three are going to be there, that's the other question. And that's been, you know, two things the Celtics have dealt with is can we get our guys all on the same page? Can we get everybody healthy? And we know Jalen's not going to be there. Rob Williams is the biggest question mark. But other than that, you know, these guys have been playing together more often, at least in comparison to the Nets. So, those could be advantages for the Celtics potentially, which which you know feels weird to say given the way the, the season has played out. You know, it's crazy to me. The last time the Celtics were um a, a serious contender when Kyrie was on that team, what what cost them that series was the fact that Kyrie checked out and the fact that there was no camaraderie in the locker room. There was infighting going on, and everybody felt like they deserved some form of role that they weren't getting, and. There's a chance that that's what we see happen in Brooklyn. And I'm not going to harp on this much longer because I do think there's another way that Boston can look to limit Brooklyn's offense, which we'll touch on in a moment. But I do think very much so that that chemistry or lack thereof, because they haven't been able to build that through the year, through going through testing times and troublesome times, 
like even LeBron and AD have had to go through a little losing streaks and learn how to navigate that as leaders on the leaders on the floor and in the locker room together without kind of grating on each other. And they're doing an excellent job. But you throw in a third star, and that's when things get complicated. And we've seen teams not as talented as this, let's be fair, but we've seen teams with the names like this that have been unable to put it on the floor. Oklahoma, KD and Durant, they couldn't get it done. You know, you've seen years of Miami really struggled to figure that stuff out. It was different in Golden State because everybody mm-hmm. just seemed, they kind of came up together. They they were built into a dynasty rather yeah. than formed a dynasty. They were homegrown minus yeah. KD and then KD just took it to another stratosphere. Yeah, he was just a steroids. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the way to look at it. <laughs> but like, if you look at everyone else, all these other super teams, they rarely figure stuff out in that first year together. It's quite rare that that happens. It's usually year two. Once everybody's been there a year, they have their failure and then they all get together and be like, right, then how do we make this work? We're all here. This is why we're here. And this is year one for Brooklyn in terms of having that big three. I understand it's the first year of having hard, sorry, the second year of having Kyrie and KD, but last year don't count. Neither of those two got, it doesn't count. So this is year one. So there's a chance that they really falter. I also think Boston have the um, the coaching advantage, which can be huge. Yeah, I think the coaching one's an interesting one, and I would definitely lean Stevens as well. But one thing to for sure keep in mind is that, you know, Steve Nash does have Mike D'Antoni riding shotgun with him. So not only is it in Nash, who I think, you know, was a little underappreciated when it came to coach of the year consideration, just given the, the injuries that they dealt with and the fact that they, you know, we're relatively easily in that top three contention along with Milwaukee and Philly kind of all year, despite everything that we've talked about with them not having the big three available. I thought Steve Nash for his first year navigated this pretty well. You know, we'll see what happens because we've talked about it before. Playoffs are a different beast. Having Mike D'Antoni is going to be a big assist. So we'll have to see how that plays out because this is, you know, this version of what this offense can be. When he was, when he had just James Harden, and then you added in Chris Paul, they almost took out those Warriors that that you just referenced a moment ago. Now you have James Harden, Kyrie, kind of filling the Chris Paul role, and then add in Kevin Durant. You, that's that's where it gets scary as to as to what this could be. And so D'Antoni being able to to be that offensive coordinator in the background, that will even out, I think, some of the coaching matchups. But it will it'll be fascinating to watch to see what Brad tries to counter. Oh man, D'Antoni being there is it's the same thing. <laughs> the coaching staff version of steroids. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. I mean, for me, what I'm looking at when I look at everything right now is I'm looking at how can you find a way to garner success? How what is it that you need to do as a Celtics team to put yourself in a position to limit their offensive weaponry and limit how they can go off? So beyond those three guys, beyond beyond the big three, you've got Joe Harris, one of the literally the best three point shooter in the league. Insane X factor, insane. It's ridiculous. You've got DeAndre Jordan that can give you vertical spacing. He's not a great rim protector, but he can get his blocks. You know, I yeah. think Jared Allen was a big loss. They bought him. Was it Mike James? Do I, is Mike James. Right he was. I was going to bring up him. I forget. He was a. He played in the Euro League somewhere, but he came over mid. His first game was against the Celtics. Yeah, uh, where, where I'm pretty sure he pretty much came off the plane, signed a contract, and then put up ten points on the Celtics off the bench. And I was like, where the heck did they get this guy from? Russia. I, yeah, it was okay. That's what it was. It was Russia. Yeah, and you know. I, 
I've only had a chance to watch him a handful of times. Every time I've watched him, I've come away very impressed with his game. And he's a guy they signed, you know, with 25, 30% of the season left. So that's another weapon. You know what's worse? The fact that he signed a 10-day, impressed, signed another 10-day, impressed, then got that contract. But it's not just that. I mean, look, you've got Blake Griffin, you've got DeAndre Jordan, you've got um, Jeff Green, yep. Bruce Brown's a decent defender, Shamit can light you up from free, Johnson can play. They're, they're not just a big free team. They've got depth as well, and that's what's allowed Steve Nash to navigate the injuries a bit better than what Brad Stevens has been able to just because they've got an experienced depth chart that goes quite deep. So when I'm looking at how can you limit this team, what can you do to give yourself a puncher's chance? And my argument is look at what you did to Russell Westbrook and look at the way you defended Westbrook and you took away his ability to play make both for himself and both for others. Now that's Russell Russell Westbrook. The dude doesn't have a jump shot. But if you can find some way of limiting James Harden's impact as a playmaker and keep the ball stagnant in his hands and force him into isolation situations, that's when you can breed frustration among the other stars. But it's also the way you limit Harden's um, biggest attribute on this roster, which is that which is that passing ability. I think he's arguably or inarguably their best um, shot creator for others. Shot generator would be the better word. Um, and I think if you can find a way to limit that early and often, then you can start to get that frustration level rising and start, you know, manipulating the narratives of Harden going ISO, Harden's trying to do it all, when realistically Boston are actually forcing him into that situation. Yeah, and I and especially given the, you know, the timeline of the injury that he's coming back from, I totally am in agreement with you that, that that's the angle that you go with. And let's be honest, it's not a great it's not an angle that you feel great about given how good James Harden can be. But I think it's the angle you have to go with. I mean, you have to kind of pick your poison here. And given his timeline and coming back from that hamstring, he's probably the one that you want to force to do a little bit more if you can if you can make that happen. You know, one of the things that I'm very curious about, I wanted to get your thoughts on here. I think Rob Williams is somewhat of an X factor looming over this. Without Rob Williams, the Celtics don't really have a true rim protector. And I personally thought Rob Williams, as you know, as he tried to play in that game the other night, I didn't think he looked great even before the second injury in which he attempted to come back and just clearly was, you know, he, he was taken out within the first two, three minutes, pretty much the first whistle of that second half when it was very clear that that he wasn't going to be good enough to go. So I think that's one area that I'm, I'm curious to know what your thoughts are. If if we don't have Rob Williams and we don't have a true rim protector, you know, what is that going to mean for the Celtics on defense and, and what they're trying to do with, you know, making Harden be the one that beats him or or force the ball somehow out of the, out of the big three's hands and make someone else beat you? So for me, my outlook on this is that Brooklyn don't have a ton of size themselves. They're a rather small team. They, um, you know, there was always that narrative of like when Andre Drummond was available, it was always going to be the Lakers because he fit the Lakers motto of size and length and mm-hmm. Brooklyn are quite small. I personally think that the bigs that, um, Brooklyn use make a lot of sense to run some Grant Williams at the small ball five consistently. And I think this could be a really good series for Grant Williams in terms of matching him up with DeAndre Jordan, being able to get underneath DeAndre and really keep him away from that paint. And when DeAndre just try and finish around the rim, you're going to be in a good position to draw fouls and draw offensive 
uh, offensive fouls and whatever you need there. I think Grant Williams will give you that spacing, which is going to be so important against the Brooklyn defense that, for me, has holes everywhere that can be exploited yeah. in the half court. So being able to play that five out without clogging the driving lanes is going to really allow guys like Tatum to do some work in the seams and start to try and get to the free throw line a bunch. Because you're going to need Tatum to be at the free throw line just to be able to live with Harden's free throw attempts on the other side. So I think a Grant Williams um, small ball five is going to be a really impactful caveat to this this series. And it could be the thing that really builds his trade value back and makes him quite um, an attractive prospect, either to Boston or to another team in the offseason. But for me, that's going to be the right guy. I mean, DeAndre Jordan's slow, plodding, big, just the type of guy that Grant Williams really excels against. He doesn't have to worry about changes of pace. He doesn't have to worry about somebody getting that first step on him. He can just use his strength, hold his ground, and then offer that space and gun offense. And if it's Jeff Green, then I think that Grant Williams has the strength there to offer some rim deterrence rather than rim protection. Yeah, this could be a series where you honestly, you know, don't see that many traditional centers on the court, you know, and it's a lot of Grant Williams, maybe even sprinkling a little bit of Jabari Parker, depending on, like I said, we're going to need offense. This series will require offense to get wins. And that's definitely one of my biggest concerns with the Celtics is just where is the scoring going to come from? to try and get to 120, 130, 140 points for what for what you may need. And so that may require playing Jabari Parker, who's a little bit more gifted on the offensive end, as that small ball five. And it will be really interesting to see what type of lineup the Nets go with. Do they go with more Kevin Durant, Jeff Green at that, you know, small ball five position? Or do they try and come over the top with Claxton and DeAndre Jordan and use them, you know, as as those more traditional bigs to go up against a team that that could be without Rob Williams and be forced to play, you know, maybe Tristan Thompson and Luke Cornett as our main two true centers. So that's going to be an interesting chess match within itself. When it comes to scoring, what do you think the Celtics will have to do to make it competitive? Because one of the things I was looking at the other night is that we put up almost 120 points, put up 118. Tatum drops a 50-piece. Kemba drops 29, so almost a 30-piece, almost 80 from those two. And we scratched and clawed our way to 118. I mean, 118 is not a bad score to get to. But as we talked about with this team, we might need even more. I'm really thinking in this series, Evan Fournier, who went 3 of 11 in the in the play-in game, only had eight points. He's got to be a consistent number three scorer that's getting around that Orlando Magic average that he came over with, which wasn't the role that we necessarily originally designed for him or thought of him when he came into Boston. But I think he's going to need to be 18 to 20 or so per game for the Celtics to have a chance in a couple of these games. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. Fournier is the first name that comes to my mind as well. I will say that I think outside of that butt score, Fournier was exceptional in that way. I agree. Game. Uh, yeah, he made some he, great passes off the penetration. That, that yeah. really inspired me in that. He also done some great stuff just without the ball in his hand, just relocating, dragging defenses with him, occupying help defenders, um, like perception for a moment in time, just getting their attention and allowing a driving lane just to momentarily open up. I think he was exceptional on both sides of the floor, but I agree. He's going to need to average 18 to 22. And we're back to this third option and how much the Celtics struggle to get there. Whoever takes that third scoring role. They just seem to really struggle. And I don't know whether that's because of ball distribution, whether it's buying into how that third role operates or confusion around when you should shoot, when you should defer. 
but it's been a consistent issue now. It's been Gordon Hayward. When Kemba Walker plays as a third option, that's where he struggles. Now we've got Fournier there and he struggled to put up points. And I do think that they need to really define when a third option is allowed to shoot, how this works within the whole scheme, because it's been a consistent issue for a few seasons now. But I agree, I think it's going to be Evan Fournier. We're going to need some big performances from random guys off the bench each night. I think this is a good series for Peyton Pritchard. Yep, There's going to be a lot of, pe- lot of penetration opportunities for him. He also probably has the best range out of anybody on the seas, not named Jason Tatum. I think that Neesmith is probably the better three-point shooter, but he doesn't ha- he hasn't shown the range that Pritchard has shown, and he hasn't shown the confidence level that Pritchard has shown in taking those deeper threes. Um, so it's going to need to be those three guys, um, Tatum, Walker, and Fournier, but it's also going to need big nights off random dudes, depending on whoever steps up on a night-to-night basis, that can go and give you 15 to 20. Yeah, well, once again, it's a little ironic, right? The the problem or the potential area that we might be able to expose the Nets on is figuring out how their big three fit together with who has the ball, who's going to be scoring. And that's, you know, once again, our, our problem has been who is that third scorer and who can excel in that role. So it's it's almost like mirror images of each other, but in very, very different ways that we're seeing between the Nets and the Celtics on this. And you mentioned Peyton Pritchard, you know, I think he's going to be a big factor in this series for the Celtics because he is one of those few guys that we've seen pop off the bench for a couple of games of over 20 points. I believe his his career high, which would be season high for him, was, was somewhere around 28 or 29 points. And one of those 20-point outbursts was against the Nets this year. It was in that game where they tried to make that last-second comeback a uh, couple of weeks. I can't remember uh, when it was. It was just after the trade deadline. But Peyton Pritchard had a big game being that option off the bench. So I think he's going to need to pop a few times for the Celtics to have a chance. And he might even be on some nights that third scorer, ideally even that fourth scorer, because you're going to need multiple scorers. Um, but yeah, I think this is going to be a big series for Peyton Pritchard where he could have an impact because of that range that you mentioned. I also think Neesmith has shown an ability to get 15 to 18 a night. He had a, uh, a little stretch of getting 15, 16, 18, around that number. So I think that he's always a possibility to go and get you high teens in the scoring column. I think Romeo Langford has been so concerned with his defense and getting on point there that we haven't seen the best of him offensively. He had that one bucket um, where he kind of glided from the wings to, um, to get a nice layup against Washington. And I remember thinking to myself, once he's got that down, once he's got the confidence to start attacking closeouts more, taking guys off the dribble more, that finishing ability around the rim, once he bulks up a bit more, will be so consistent. And I do think there's going to be opportunities to get into those driving lanes and get to those rim opportunities for him. It's just whether or not he's got the um, the mental fortitude to take the bumps while he's trying to figure out how to do that. But there's definitely room for a few guys to go off. I think we probably see one big Jabari Parker night as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a possibility. But again, you, you know, we're talking about putting at 140, 150. You, the, the, idea, <laughs> the idea is that Brooklyn don't put those type of numbers up. Yeah. And that's where the difficulties come into it. And, you know, if you get into a shootout with this team against this team, then uh, generally speaking, if we're being quite honest with ourselves, there's only ever going to be one winner and it's not going to be Boston because they just have too much firepower that are all got, um, that are all playing for a championship ring. They all want it for their own reasons. And then if you look at like, I mean, for me personally, I watched, did you watch the Brad Stevens presser after the Washington game? Uh, I caught a couple of the highlights. I didn't watch the full, the full version of it. So Brad's, Brad's words were, pre- were basically, 
I'm paraphrasing a little bit. When you look at Brooklyn, yeah. you have a hard time find, seeing how seeing them lose or seeing how a team's going to beat them. So even Brad Stevens knows the level of mountain that they need to climb. Yeah, but to Very be quite realistic. honest, <laughs> yeah, to be quite honest with you, I think that um, it's all a lot of it's going to come down to aggression. I think that you really need to play aggressive, hard-nosed basketball and just get under everyone's skin. And do you ever remember the Clippers before they got Kawhi and before they got um, PG-13 and they had that first round yeah. exit? To, and if you, I remember watching that series intensely because um, I was really captivate, captivated by the Clippers that year. I'd gone to see them play earlier in the year and I'd kind of followed their season throughout the rest of the year. And the one thing I noticed was Pat Bev um, did a really good job of taking KD out of his game just by talking smack for every second that he was on the floor, he matched up with KD and he just got KD into foul trouble after tech trouble, foul trouble, to the point where at the end of the series, KD was basically like, I'm happy I don't have to play Pat Bev no more because Pat Bev was just jawing. So you know you can get into a mental battle with KD and probably win that battle of mentalness and take him out of his game that way. And I think it's going to be a lot of the dark arts that take you from um one or two wins to three or like to three and force in a game seven yeah that that clippers team was scrappy as hell that was the team that had patty bev danilo gallinari lou williams obviously that was shay that was shay's rookie year shay gilgis alexander's rookie year that was on that team you know and i'm curious are you hinting at maybe sicking a little bit of the the marcus smart patty the marcus smart which is the patty bev somewhat of the celtics maybe putting him into you know Durant's jersey for a little bit at times is is that a little bit of what you're hinting at? Yeah, but I'm saying tell Marcus Smart like we know you've tried to play more reserve this year, but now we need you to be a dog. Now yeah. we need you. You know, what I mean, if you if you yeah, if you get a tech, if you get sent hot, if you know, if you get told like you're rejected for a game, we don't care because we need that intensity. And you know, if you're on the floor, we stand a chance of winning, but we still might lose. So if you get ejected, but you've really got under KD's skin for three or four games, and this is just a culmination of that, then we're fine with that. And that's where Mark, that's where you need to be saying to Marcus, like, right, we need you to be the instigator now. We need you to be the one throwing elbows, jawing constantly, being that Marcus that you were in year one and two of your career, where sometimes you were just a little bit too nuts. Now we need that, you know. <laughs> unleash, I mean? un- unleash the Kraken. This is this is if there's ever a time for Marcus Smart to be, you know, let off the the figurative leash, it's right now. And this is going to need to be a tour de force for him. But but along with the same lines, you mentioned the energy. That's where I think guys like Neesmith and Romeo are going to get some chances in here, because if you just let those young guys out there and expend that energy on defense, because we're going to need to buy some minutes where the two of them are likely chasing around either Kyrie or Harden. That's who I would think presumably they would be matched up with for small spells of time. And it's like, hey, guys, don't don't worry about committing fouls when you're guarding them. Like, we want you to be as aggressive as you possibly can. We want you to expend every ounce of energy. They each played about 14 minutes in that Wizards game. Maybe that's something around similar to the time that they're going to get in each Nets game is somewhere within that, you know, 12 to 16-minute range. And it's like, while you guys are out there, Use all your fouls. Use all your energies. We need you to bring a chaoticness to this game. This is how we win. We muck it up. We muck it up and we get them out of their rhythm. We don't let them feel comfortable. And 
the youthful exuberance that the two of you can bring to the court is what I think could be a difference maker for the Celtics. And I think Brad's going to have to trust his young guys, which I know at times, you know, he's sometimes reluctant to do. But in order to change it up and, you know, give a variety of looks to these nets, I think that's going to be part of it is just Aaron Neesmith and Romeo Langford being inserted into certain lineups at the right time and just having their energy take over and be difference makers. Yeah, it's not about winning game one. It's about wearing them down so you can win games three, four, five, and then force that game seven. And I think if you can manage, if you can figure out a way, and I mean, this is in like the the realms of wild possibilities. It doesn't seem like realism again. But if you can somehow force a game seven, now it's anybody's game. It's anybody's night. It's who executes on that night. But to do that, you have to drain this team over a period of one, two, three, four games of just high intensity, bruising basketball, letting them know that they've played against you. And if you remember the old Celtics teams with Isaiah Thomas, their biggest trait was, and I remember reading a quote, I can't remember who it was from, whether it was from Brad or a player that had played against them, but he was like, you dread going to play Boston because you're bruised and battered for four or five days afterwards. You know that you've been in a game with them because you've got Baines, Horford, Crowder, um, you know, there was just a lot of big bodies that played in 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 your face, up against you, with elbows flying everywhere, and that's what made the Celtics so successful during those IT years was their grit and grind and the fact that they played fast and brutal, punishing basketball. And that's what the Celtics are going to need to find. They're going to need to really channel their inner like steel and just kind of go Super Saiyan for a little bit. At least Kyo can. <laughs> Like, you know, you don't have to go full Super Saiyan, just a bit of Kaioken, just get a bit angry sometimes. But uh, I'm I'm really excited for this series, I'm not going to lie. Yeah, and you know, another thing to keep in mind here, Brooklyn Nets are not the New York Knicks. They don't really have a strong fan base, as evidenced by them practically begging their fans to come out to the games. James Harden's paying for half tickets. They literally have, did you see this today? They have a campaign out there yeah. for fans to get half of their ticket paid for by James Harden. I mean, if that doesn't tell you about the strength or, I guess, weakness of their fan base, you know, I mean, it could say something if you get to a game seven and it doesn't, you know, that the home court's not as much of a factor as it normally would be in other places. You know, once again, just another small factor that may give the Celtics a chance. Do you know what? I'd completely agree with you if teams hadn't just gone through 18 months of playing with no fans. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, but I get what you're saying. Sometimes having fans that are quiet is worse than having no fans at all. Exactly. Because now you know, now you know that, hey, we, we have capacity for 50%, whatever it might be. And we have only 30% in here and it's crickets. Whereas if you know it's crickets going into it, that's a whole different mindset than going into a building that you know could be more full and it's not, especially because whatever Boston's going to be. And I think actually by game four, I think there's a chance the Celtics might be able to have a full building or closer to a full building or a larger capacity. I forget what the what the timeline is or how it works because it's indoors versus outdoors like Fenway Park would be. But Boston's going to be loud, especially when you think about Kyrie. Fans have been waiting, been chomping at the bit to get their booze in when it comes to Kyrie. So that place is going to be a, you know, comparably be a sizable difference when you look at what it feels like to go into each arena, even with the Celtics being the underdog. Yeah, I mean, everyone says that the Celtics' six-man is the fans. They're, they're loud, they're boisterous, and they, they get up in you if the team isn't getting up in you anyway. And that can throw you off your game, but the problem is it can also invigorate your game. 
if you're the type of guy to really want to set shut people up, like I think that for all the value that the fans bring, you can also fire a guy up to go out there and destroy your team because of those same booze. And Kyrie strikes me as the type of guy that wants all the smoke. He's like, <laughs> you know, give me all the smoke. I need all of it. And then now I'm going to show you why you're so upset. You're not upset yeah. because I'm left. You're upset because you don't see this every day. And sometimes I want, I worry about that. But I think we've touched on Brooklyn enough. By the time we speak again, there should have been a game. So what we're going to do, if anyone follows us on Twitter, you should follow us on Twitter. I think we're both good Twitter followers. Why wouldn't you? Go ahead and follow us. Come on. As the young kids like to say, and people tell me from time to time, we're a good follower on Twitter. Uh, I don't know. I mean, if you want to follow me on Twitter, fine. I'm trying to build my Instagram up, so I'd really appreciate some Instagram follows. People should just seem friendlier on Instagram. I don't know what it is. Maybe <laughs> yeah, right? Not, it's less maybe, toxic, it feels like. Yeah. So like, I'm enjoying that at the moment, just taking that break. But anyway, we put out a tweet earlier just saying there's a Q&A, a little bit of a Q&A. We understand that we do these mailbags on locker rooms, so the, re- the responses weren't huge, but they were good enough. So, right, we're going to start with one from Celtics PR underscore PR Ram, Pat Ram. A variation of the old kill one, marry one, sleep with one game. So we've got Smart, Fournier, and Kemba. You have to kill one, which is trade them this summer. Marry one, which means offer a big money extension beyond the current deal. And sleep with one, keep them through their contract and let them walk in free agency. I'll let you go first. Okay, okay. So using the parameters that we have for this one. So let's go with kill one, which means I have to trade them this summer. And I feel like there's a, I have one version in my mind. That's what I hope happens. And there's one that I think will happen. Which one do you want me to go with? Do you want me to go with what I hope happens or what I think will happen? Whatever one you choose, just premise it at the end. Keep it a surprise. Okay. I'll go with, I'm going to go with what I think will happen here. So that means I have to kill one. I have to trade this summer. So I'm going to go with Marcus Smart. I think Marcus Smart is going to be the one that out of these three, if they were to get traded, I think Marcus is the most likely. His contract is kind of one of those mid-tier contracts, especially if you compile it with Tristan Thompson. You can get to a little over $20 million. Gives you a little bit of flexibility and versatility as far as what you may be looking to upgrade or looking to do with, you know, with that roster configuration. So I'll go with Marcus Smart for that one. Marry one, which in this case is extend at a big number. I don't know what big number will be, but beyond the current deal, I think that's Evan Fournier. And given that he's going to be the sizable chunk of your TPE, which you got from the Gordon Hayward sign and trade, and he's what you got back at the deadline. And I've also liked the fit with Evan Fournier. I would like to see it with a fully healthy team, what this looks like. So I think he fit, he checked a lot of the boxes that we were missing at the beginning of the year when we were healthier and we were realizing more and more, man, that Hayward departure is hitting us a little stronger than we realized it was going to. When we look at the team, I think Fournier checks a lot of those boxes. So I would like to see what he looks like. Um, I think he's going to be the guy that I would feel best about with these three, giving a little bit more money and spending a little bit more time with, you know, when you marry somebody, you want to spend a little time, get a little cozy. I'll cuddle up with Evan Fournier. I'll go with Evan Fournier on that one. And then the last one is going to be, who am I going to sleep with? Uh, and that's going to be Kemba Walker. And I'm going to say Kemba Walker because I just think his contract is going to be really hard to trade. So that's why I said this is what I think will happen. I'd probably switch him and Smart if I went the other route. But I think Kemba is going to be the one that I would stay with through the current contract. Because trying to trade him right now, 70-plus mil over two years left for an undersized guard with shaky knees – 
It's going to be a tough sell. And I don't think it's one that you're going to win if you make that trade. But I don't think he's at a level where he hurts me enough when he's not playing well that, that I want to just give him away for the sake of moving on from him. I don't think that's a smart play either. So I think Kemba's going to be the one that I keep through the current contract and then be okay walk, letting him walk in free agency and then taking that money and maybe making a run at Bradley Beal if he's available or seeing what else is on the market at that time. What you got, Adam? So I've got exactly the same as you. I'm not even going to lie or change it for the sake of being... Um, <laughs> authenticity, baby. Yeah, well, got to be authentic, authentic. I was about to say got to be authenticity. <laughs> My words <laughs> just got away from me then. Um, now, seriously, I've got exactly the same as you. I think Smart's the most tradable asset on the roster right now with the way his contract's set up. I think there's just no way in the world you spend that much of the TP on Fournier just to let him leave in the offseason. Um, the optics on that alone would be vile. Bad. Like. Yeah, I don't expect that to happen. He also seems quite happy in Boston. And I think you keep Kemba, especially if you keep Fournier because of their the way they play together and play off of each other. Um, yeah, they they seem like a good married couple. Yeah, they do. They do, they really do. Yeah. So I wanna I I'm gonna agree with you there. I know it doesn't make for great listening, but it's true. <laughs> great minds think alike, Adam. It's okay. So we've got one from Wayne Breezy. He used to be on this show quite regularly, uh asking Playoffs are here. How short will Brad's rotations be against the Nets? I'm saying, I'm expecting, honestly, because of how strong the Nets are and how much of a scoring punch off the bench you need, I wouldn't be shocked to see him go eight man deep. Um, usually, I think eight's quite solid. Maybe even at times go down to his ninth man, but I don't think you go deeper than a nine man rotation in the playoffs. I think even that's a deep rotation for the yeah. playoffs. Um, but I do think that's a viable option for him this year. Yeah, I mean, I think it's probably right about the same. I don't have the exact number, and a lot of it will depend on the availability of, of Robert Williams and what that does to your big man rotation as well. But I think you're going to see you know, pretty consistently what we saw from Brad the other night where Fournier, Smart, Walker, and obviously Jason Tatum, they're all likely going to be playing around 35 minutes plus. They're They're not going to spend much time off of the court they're not going to be able to afford to have much time with those four off of the court and then from that you'll see him you know kind of pick and choose his moments as to who's best do we need more scoring from distance with Peyton Pritchard do we need that energy as we talked about with Aaron Neesmith and Romeo Langford and their defense do we need rebounding from Tristan Thompson is Robert Williams good enough to go Luke Cornett do we need you know, once again, a stretch five, maybe to clear out the pain a little bit so we get some more driving lanes, have someone to kick the ball out to. So I, I think you're going to see a very, you're going to see a lot of the minutes go to those top four or five players. And the rest of the time, it's going to be, you know, Brad playing a little bit of a chess match, but within each game. And I think especially by the time you get to game three or game four, it will be, like you said, it'll be really tight around eight to nine guys with the majority of time going to the top four or five players in the rotation. Yeah, I can't see it going deeper than that, and I can't see it being a shallow rotation either. Just because, you, as we spoke about at length during this episode, you need the ability to keep throwing guys out there and letting them rack up the fouls, letting them get physical. So you need a deeper rotation to deal with the physicality and energy exertion that you're asking of this fran um, this rotation. But say franchise again, words <laughs> of getting ahead of me. All right, got one from Sam LaFrance. What's the ideal offseason for Boston and what do you think they'll do? That's on your turn now. Yeah, that's a that's a great question. I think it's one that we'll certainly get into uh get into here as the offseason, you know, begins. Hopefully, 
later rather than sooner, but we'll see. Um, but I think for me, number one, there's, there's no, one very easy priority. And we already kind of touched on this on the first question. I think it's re-signing Evan Fournier. I think you absolutely have to get that done. I think that's priority number one, given, as you said, the optics. And I also look at just like, I like the fit of Evan Fournier thus far. He's an unrestricted free agent. So I don't know what the market's going to be. I think that will be very interesting to see how much they do have his bird rights so they can go into the cap, go into the luxury for it. But I think that's number one. I think that's the number one most important thing is making sure that you get some true value from what what you did with that TPE and re-signing Evan Fournier. You know, after that, we touched on this a little bit with Greg on the on the Monday pod. But I would if we're talking about ideal offseason, I'd love to bring in a big for us that's even if it's not Jonas Valanciunas, it's someone of that stature. Someone like him, Nurkic, obviously Vucevic just got traded. I don't think he's going to be on the table, but finding someone else that's, you know, that fits that mold. Cause I think those are the, let's call them the tier two level centers yeah. that you need to compete. They're not the unicorns, but they're the tier twos that you can get by with, especially when you have surrounding pieces like Marcus Smart, obviously Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, you know, those type of guys, you're going to need that tier two level center. And so I think if, Boston could find a way, could just find a way. And I don't, I think it's going to be really difficult to do. That's my ideal offseason is finding a way to package picks, Marcus, Tristan, whatever you have to do for contracts to make it work and get somebody of that style of player. That's my biggest ideal. Resign Evan Fournier, find a big in that tier two level to bring in and round out that team for a really solid core that you can go up with against anybody. Yeah. The only thing I'd add to that is I'd like, um, I'd like another shooter, a veteran shooter, somebody that um, can go and get you a consistent 37%, whether that's from spot up or movement, I don't care. But just adding one extra guy. So when Neesmith is struggling, when Pritchard is having one of his off games, you know, the sophomore slump's legit. So both of these guys are going to come out the gates probably warm. Then they're going to struggle and then they should heat up towards the end of the year. But if you want to avoid this playing tournament next year and you want some home court advantage, adding one more veteran shooter along with that tier two big man, along with consolidating some of these young pieces into something more tangible. And I'm not saying these guys aren't good. I'm just saying they're not good for right now on this team. Um, that that ad- additional veteran shooter would be fantastic. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I've spent, I don't know, n- way too much time over the last few off seasons trying to figure out ways the Celtics could obtain someone like a J.J. Redick. Or, you know, I was a big fan of when the potential deal with the Pacers for the sign and trade you know, Miles Turner, whatever you feel about him. I was really excited for Doug McDermott to come into the Celtics. I thought he could have been a guy that would have been extremely valuable. Uh, I think he's the forgotten piece when people bring that up in, in discourse is that Doug McDermott would have been a huge value add to this team uh, with his size and shooting. But yeah, I'm with you, Adam. I've been dying for that true, just just that guy that even when he's on the court, his gravity alone creates space. Even if he doesn't have the ball in his hands, even if he's not actively shooting, but him running around creating space, I've been dying for that type of player. So I'm in total agreement with you there. Yeah, the one guy I really wanted in the offseason, he ended up in Milwaukee, was Brim Forbes. Ooh, okay, that's he, a good one. I thought he would have been a really nice pickup. Um, and he's done great for Brooklyn when he's had the chance to play. Not Brooklyn, sorry, Milwaukee yeah, when he's had the chance. You. It's getting late here, people. So, <laughs> you know, just uh, give me this one, will you? Um, okay, so the final question we've got before we let everybody get on with their uh, their mornings, their days, their evenings, whenever they choose to listen, is who do you think the Celtics should keep slash build upon? So this is pretty much what we just discussed. Um, sorry, I'll tell you who. Um, Lucas Cornelius, Lucius Cornelius Sola on Twitter is the guy that asked that question. Um, I think that 
Uh, we've just touched upon it. I'd rather I'd make sure you've got um, Rob Williams, um, Jalen, Jason, Evan Fournier, and even Rob Williams is a possible okay to move because you don't know that he's going to be healthy all the time. Uh, Romeo, I think, should stay. Neesmith, I think, should stay. Pritchard, I think, should stay. Anyone else is free game. I know that leaves you with very few people. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, for me, it's it's really Tatum and Brown are the only untouchables for me. Everything else, depending on what the context is around what's happening with whether it's letting them walk or it's putting them into a trade, I think it's I think it's all on the table. I think for me, Tatum, Brown, and I'm very against firing Brad Stevens. So I think keeping him as the coach. I think those three for me are the only ones that I would you know put those in my back pocket, move them to the side. We're not talking about them. We're not touching them unless you're bringing something crazy out of left field into the discussion. Those three are remaining untouched. The rest of what we have on this roster, let's figure out the context. Let's see what it involves. And it's on the table for me. But those three are are off limits. Oh, yeah. When I say I think you should keep them around, I'm talking about don't make a move just to make a move. Yeah, and and I would agree with a lot of the people that you put on that. And that's even what I touched on when it it came to Kemba. Like I know the contracts a lot, like, but I still don't think moving on just for the sake of moving on, as you put it, you know, he still has value. You saw it the other night against Washington. You know, we really needed Kemba to put up that 29 points and be that secondary scorer when a guy like Jalen Brown is out. And, you know, it's just figuring out how he fits as that third piece. And there's still a lot of value there. So just moving on from him to open up cap space and, you know, taking on an overpriced, you know, expiring contract is is not, I don't think, worth it. So I think we're on the same page when it comes to that. So that pretty much, we've done the Q&A, we've hit on the nets. I know we did want to speak on Tatum's place among the stars. I think that we can save that for next week now, uh, just because I could go for another 35, 45 minutes talking about Tatum. That could, that, that could be a podcast series. Exactly. We should make that. You know, <laughs> We'll just do like a five, 10-minute discussion at the end of each episode or something. Um, yeah, so if, if there anything else you wanted to hit on before we let everybody carry on with their day? No, man, I'm just excited for this weekend. I love playoff basketball, especially, you know, these first rounds are so great because it's like four games a day. It's four games a day of of the highest level of competition. And, you know, I just think there's, I think there's, I think honestly, every team, except for maybe the Pacers and Wizards, even the Wizards, I find interesting just because they have that Beal-Westbrook combo has something extremely interesting about them. So there's something to watch for in every game. So I'm, I'm just really excited to to binge this, and hopefully my girlfriend doesn't break up with me because I'm obsessed with watching as much basketball as possible once the playoffs start. Oh, I constantly tell my wife I'm sorry. I'm just- yeah, oh, this is going to be a lot of apologies. Believe me, my girlfriend's been gone this past week, which I told her is ironic because it's probably the most free time from a basketball requirement standpoint yeah. since the Celtics only had the Tuesday game and then we were off until until Saturday night so like it's very you know ironic that this is the one week she chooses to be away from the house because then when she comes back it's on it's full tilt so I'll have to be buying some flowers or making some dinner well maybe not making dinner with the way I cook but ordering some dinner <laughs> and and you know getting some flowers or something to do some make goods man everybody um that's followed me for a while know that I study a degree on a nighttime after work and stuff and um I had my end of year assignment come given to me last week. Due date is this Thursday. Uh, I've basically tomorrow and Saturday, I'm going to lock myself away in the daytime and just destroy that assignment. So then, because once I'm done, I'm done until September. I've gotten, there's no studying. So all of a sudden I'm free for the entire playoffs with no worries about having to read textbooks, find citations, get those essays done. So, um, 
Not only am I going to be neglecting everybody for the duration of the playoffs, as of when I wake up tomorrow, it's neglect central. <laughs> and I've explained this, people understand, but uh, the next two days are really going to suck. <laughs> yeah, man. And I mean, well, here's the thing. Here's, here's the bright side for those of you listening. If you're not following Adam, you need to follow him right now because once we get past this weekend and the university is on or out of the way and it's all playoff all the time, that's just more content. More content is around the corner. So now's the time to follow. Oh, well, I've been toying around with so many different types of content lately, dude. Uh, video breakdowns. Um, yeah, I've enjoyed those, man. I like them. Keep them coming. I, I, yeah, they're fun. I enjoy doing them. Um, I've been doing different types of articles. Different. I've just been toying around with so many different things just because I really enjoy it, and it's a good pastime that doesn't involve um, alcohol. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm English. We like the alcohol. Um, but, yeah, that's Us pretty Americans much it. Americans, too. Yeah, that's true. That's true. There's this big thing, man, where everyone's like, oh, Americans don't drink as much as English people. I think that's false. I think that's English It's very people. false. And I bet you a yeah. lot of our listeners are coming from the Boston area. And I grew up in Dorchester. I can verify that is extremely false. Uh, Boston's basically England, dude. <laughs> yeah. it's, a, it's the closest point. It's the very uh, English, English weather. If Boston have bad weather, England gets it within two days later. Time difference isn't that bad. I know some people are like, dude, it's a five hour difference. I'm like, that's not that bad. I mean, Seriously? it's three hours to California, and that's in the same state. I mean, the same country. Yeah, it's really, exactly. Yeah, exactly that. So, you know, and I, I don't think the distance between Boston and Cali is much different, different than the distance between England and Boston, yeah. to be quite honest. It's, it's a, a six-hour hour flight. Yeah, and it's a six-hour flight for me to get to Boston. So, if, you know, it's pretty much the same. Uh, anyway, we're going into a geography lesson here, so we're not going to bore you. As usual, if you're listening on Apple, please make sure you hit that subscribe button, leave that five-star review. Ideally, with something nice, I do check them quite regularly. Always warms my heart when I see people talking nice things about us. Um, if you don't listen on Apple, that's cool. Just let your friends know, hey, there's this awesome podcast on Celtics Blog. Really enjoy it. Been listening for a while. I think you should too. Best thing you can do is word of mouth is always the best form of um, advertisement. It's the greatest form of flattery for us. If you do want to follow Will or myself, then I do hyperlink our um, Twitter handles in the description of this podcast. If they don't, if the hyperlink doesn't show up, please let me know, and I'll have a word with our um, podcast distributors to make sure that's fixed. Will, as usual, man, I look forward to these episodes every Thursday night when we're recording Thursday afternoon for you. Thank you very much for joining me, buddy. Yeah, man, these are a blast. And uh, for those of y'all that enjoy when I hop on this podcast here with Adam and Chop It Up, uh, you can find me on both Twitter and Instagram at Wilbon13, W-I-L-L-B-O-N-1-3. And you can also find my link tree in there that will give you access to all the other stuff that, that I do out there as well. And Will does lots of good stuff, so make sure you do go and check that out. You won't be disappointed. He's um very good at what he does. And hopefully... Appreciate you, brother. Well, it's true. I'm not going to lie. We've been authentic all the way through. I'm not going to change now. Um, hopefully you guys will catch us again on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday consistently. And we will see. And if you do want to hear from me on Monday or Friday, actually, or today, if you're listening on Friday, then I'm on Locker Room, 4 p.m. Eastern, Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays too. Everybody stay safe. Have a good weekend. Enjoy the playoffs. We've really been for a roller coaster getting to this point. We might as well continue to ride that ride. 
Catch you all again soon. Ain't disrespecting you haters. I ain't sweating your opinion. Y'all been testing my patience. Never did it for a check. I've been impressed with the famous. Just rather be creative than stressing my wages. Ageless every time I lay a verse down. One play at a time. Keep it moving like a first down. And at the end of the day, I can say that I made this. MJ never made it to the major. Still, he chased greatness. Expected that he might fail. And I might too. I might never get to pop champagne. Celebrating with the crew. This ain't everything I am. It's something that I do